It is Wednesday, January the 28th. And you can go ahead and put up the title. We got to, you guys know me, I do a slideshow, so we're going to go through slides tonight. Uh, title of my message is Love and Truth. And I just want to start off with asking a question. Um, where are we as a nation right now in 2015? Where are we as the United States of America, as a country blessed by God? Where are we right now? We're in a pivotal, a crucial point. I did not realize 25 years ago when I was a teenager that I would be raising kids in a generation that we're in right now. Never would have thought that we would see the things that we see. So we're, I'm going to go through some statistics because I want to tell you and show you where we're at as a nation. We're going to start with the first slide. This is statistics on America's youth. 1,100 will have an abortion today. That's under the age of 20. 1,100 children will have an abortion today. 2,500 will give birth out of wedlock today. 600 youths will contract an STD today. And 13 of our kids in America will take their own lives today. And the sad part is those numbers start over tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. Our children are growing up in an environment we did not have to grow up in. You go ahead and give me the next slide. I'm just going to start off with some statistics. We live in a broken society. 24 million American children. This is still just the children. 24 million, which is 36.7% of all children, are living in a broken home. Over one-third of all children are living in a broken family. We're right now at 30% of all children living in a broken home. That number has more than tripled since 1960. Take the next slide. Because we're living in a fatherless society. 17 million children. That's 25% of all children are living with no father in the home. One in four children in the United States are living with no father influence in the home. 32% of all births, by the time the child is born, the father has already left the home. 32%. You are five times more likely to live in poverty if there's no father in the home. And 75% of all those children without a father will experience lack, need, and hunger before the age 11. We live in some dire times. We live in some dark times. And there's so much going on that we don't look inward. We look at all the news going around the world, but America is crumbling and we're crumbling at the core, and that's the family. Can I have the next slide? Because we're becoming a violent society. The greatest predictor of violent crimes is not your race, it is not your income, but it's the proportion of households without fathers. <coughs> the greatest factor that correlates with crime, out of all the studies, the greatest indicator of a, a crime-ridden area, or an area full of crime, is not because it's a poor area, not because the school systems aren't working, 
And it's not because it's a specific race. It is the absence or the presence of a loving father. Go ahead and give me the next slide. Violent criminals are males who grew up without an emotionally engaged fathers. According to the statistics, all 60% of all rapes, they said, was because this child grew up without a father. 72% of all adolescent murders is because there was no father in the home. 80%, and that's a conservative number, 80% of all long-term prison inmates did not have a father in the home. 80% of all adolescents in psychiatric hospitals have no loving father. It's no wonder, give me the next slide, it's no wonder the last words spoken, the very last words, Malachi 4, 5, and 6, end the Older Testament. Malachi says, Behold, he's prophesying for the Lord, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the heart of, their, of the children to their fathers. I never saw this before or else. I will come and strike the land with a curse. Do you see if the father's heart first is not for his children, then the children's heart is not for their father and the land is suffering from a curse. We are suffering from a curse on our land and the curse is there's no father in the home. There's no father in the home. We're growing up America's children in a fatherless society. Why, why would this be a curse to a land? Why would this be a curse to a people? Can I have the next slide? It's because of the role or the office of a father. God has appointed man or the father to fulfill three roles in his family. He's to be the priest of his family. He is to be the prophet of his family. And he is to be the leader of his family. We'll start with priest. See, God never intended man to have a priest. He intended man to be a priest. And he set men over their families. Do you know when Adam and Eve, he, Eve was part of him, they were one. And when a man consummates his marriage, they become one. And their children are still one. They still represent the man. That's why he's the priest over his family. He's the responsibility to bring the spiritual blessings into his family. See, God had ordained the man to gather his family and bridge the gap between them and God. So if the father is broken from God, then the family is broken from God because they don't have their mediator, they don't have their priest praying for their family, training up their children, nurturing the wife. The father as his priestly duties is to spend time in prayer every day remembering the needs and the concerns of his wife. He prays for the salvation of his children, like Job. Job was petitioning the Lord for his children in case they had sinned. He sets the spiritual temperature in the home, and he sacrifices his life for theirs. He is the mediator to God for his family. And as the prophet of his family... He is to give direction and point. We learned in class, the pointy finger is the prophet. He points his family in the right direction. He points and he says, this is the way of the Lord. 
and the family follows. But he has to know which way is the way of the Lord to be able to point. He is called to be the prophet of his home. He declares, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is a proclamation the man makes in his home. And he has to decide that. You see a home where the woman decides it and the man is set aside. It says that it shames the man because her head's not covered. There's no priest in the home. There's no prophet in the home. The woman is seeking the Lord. She's taking over his duties. Do you know that we see women judges? We see women fulfill a lot of roles, but you don't see women in the priesthood because it was the man that was called Every man was called to be a priest. He called them to be a nation of priests. And he's called us to be a nation of priests. He is to speak the blessings of God over his family. And he is the messenger from God to his wife and his children. He is the one that declares, thus saith the Lord in his house. He's also to be the leader, the king He's to be the pastor of his own home. It is the father's duty to bring correction and affirmation to his children. He is the one responsible to get the vision for his family. A pastor gets a vision for their church. The husband as pastor gets a vision for his family. No wonder there is a curse in America. The man is not in the home. He is not the priest of his home. He is not the prophet of his home. And he's not the leader of his home. And even in the church, the statistics are there are more women in church than men. We have a rarity here. There's more men here than women. When he fulfills these roles, he becomes the reflection of our heavenly father to his children. When he pours himself into these roles, his wife and his children get a glimpse of the heavenly father. If he doesn't fulfill these roles correctly, his children get a perverted image of the heavenly father. If he rules with a strong hand, what do they think God rules with? Strong hand. As if, if he's passive and could care less about raising the children when they grow up, the children think, God could care less about my life. His role is to be the priest, to present God to his family. His role is to be the prophet and the leader. If we think our duty is fulfilled when we meet their physical needs, when we have the home, the education, even the things they want, and we're not fulfilling these things, we are they are spiritually fatherless. And the, and the Lord said, if, I, if, if the man, the father's, doesn't, his heart, it's a heart issue. If the father's heart doesn't turn towards the children, the children will never have their heart turned to the father and the land will be cursed. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Most of my scriptures tonight are in the New, I, New International Version. This one's in the New King James Version. Because I think it, it, it plays on two words that really grasp what's being said in these scriptures. Now, what we've just said, I want you to keep that in mind when we read this because we read this and as parents, we only hear the first part. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And this is the promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth sounds completely opposite of the curse but then who does he address the wife 
And you fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The NIV, I think, says in the discipline and in the instruction. I like the words nurture and admonition because what he's saying is bring them up in the love and the truth of the Lord. Let's go to the next slide. So we're going to look at some words. We're going to look at love and truth. We're going to look at support and control and nurture and admonition. Love, support, and nurture are going to mean the love of God. Truth, control, and admonition is going to represent the truth, the law of God. There was a study done at the University of Minnesota where they went out and they, um, there's four parenting types and we're going to look at them in a, in a moment. And they wanted to know what parenting type was most likely to cause the children to follow after the faith and the values of their parents. They studied church leaders. They studied pastors. They studied ministry leaders those that you would think that would be most influential in their children's life. They were leaders. They studied leaders. Let's go to the next slide. They gave a definition. They said they were looking at the homes which had both support and control. They defined support as the ability to make the child feel loved. What does that mean? It means regardless of what the parents say, it's does the child feel love? Because every father here will say, oh, I love my kids. But not every child will say, I feel loved by my father. Support, the ability to make the child feel loved. Does the child know by its parents' actions that they are loved and cherished. Is love expressed from both parents towards the child in the home? Represents support. Control. The ability to call out cooperative behavior in the child. That's a whole lot of words to mean obedience. Control. Is there a control in the home? Is the child obedient to its family, its parents? Does the parent exercise a set of boundaries and expectations for the child with the proper authority to be able to bring obedience from the child? Now that says a lot, so I'm going to say it one more time. Does the parent exercise a set of boundaries and expectations for the child with the proper authority to be able to bring about obedience from the child. I wish I'd have known this 15 years ago. This is important. As fathers... This is, this is probably one of the most important messages that you can hear because I've been fathering blind for a long time. And when this came to me, it just, I almost broke down because I realized my failures. I, had, I was just driving blind. There's no, there was no manual on how to be a father. I'm a first-time generation. My parents are not believers. See, the study was to determine which parenting styles would most likely cause the child to adopt the religious faith and values of their parents. Go ahead and give me the next slide. All right, let me explain this to you. It's not as complicated as it looks. You remember what we said? Support, love, 
nurture. High nurture is at the top, or high support is at the top. Low support is at the bottom. Judy, even if you could get this on the film somehow. Control. If they're on this side, it's high control. All the way on that side is low control. So when you have high support, high love in the home, and high control, which is high discipline in the home, that is called authoritative parenting. High, not, not just equal, because look here, if you have low support and low control, it's neglectful. That's even. It's not a balance. We're not talking about balance here tonight. I'm not saying balance with a little love and balance with a little truth. We're talking high love and high truth. Low love and low truth. Look at this. When control... For permissive, the support is high. They love their kids, but there's no control. It's called permissive. You ever heard the parents say, I let, we love and support our children and we let them choose what they want to do. And we support them. It's all support, no control. It's just love, 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 love. No instruction whatsoever. The child, they support the child in whatever the child desires to do. That, that word is permissive. That sounds like a dirty word to me. Permissive. But look what happens when you have high control. There's the law in the house, but no love, no support whatsoever. It's called authoritarian or tyrant. You're going to do what I say do and I don't have to explain myself. You just listen when I tell you to do what I tell you to do. We think that that's obedience. Don't, no instruction whatsoever. Just do what I say. No, no affirmation, no uh, explaining why the child has to do what it has to do. You're an authoritarian. And then we have those that had no control, low control, and low love. And it gets neglect. It's called neglectful. Those that are too busy with career, those that may even be too busy with ministry, and they neglect the child. There's no control and no affirmation. Or no nurture and no affirmation. Let me ask you a question. What do you think was the parenting type that got the most children to follow after their family's beliefs? Meaning they stayed in church and they, and they, they stayed believers. Which one do you think it was? Authoritative. Which one do you think is second? Some of you already know because I shared this, so don't say. Which one do you think is second? Which one do you think is came in number two? Okay, which one do you think came in number three? Authoritarian. All right, and so that would leave number four is neglectful. Give me the next slide. The authoritative parent was more than ten times more likely to produce a child that followed after in the faith than the permissive. The permissive came in second, a very distant second, but it was second. Neglectful came in third. And when they interviewed the children of the authoritarian, they said, I want nothing to do with God. But guess what? Guess what was not in the permissive group? Ministry leaders. None. 
they went to church, they were not willing to give their life for service. They may have had some saved, but the leaders were in the first one. And I don't know about you, but I'm not raising Christians just to be saved, to go to church. That is not my goal for my children. It is to train them up to go further in the kingdom than I could achieve. You see, that number two, that permissive, that's a, that's a dangerous one. Because you think by being your child's friend that they're going to reach their potential in life. But in the kingdom, it doesn't work that way. I had to judge and evaluate where I fell on that scale. Because if I want my children to go into ministry, I got to do some changes. It's not in me to show them the support that they need. I need God's help. It's in me to control them. But that puts them in category four. Can you imagine the failure that you are so afraid of losing your children that you become an authoritarian and you mar their image of God because your children are going to grow up to perceive God how they perceived their father. We actually did this test one time. We asked our children, who most like, who do you think is most like God in the family? What was the number one answer every time? My wife, it was the father. Every child that was asked said, my father, he's just like God because he's the priest. He's the prophet, and he's the pastor of his home. Let's go to the next slide. I know red usually doesn't work very well, but for some reason I just can't, I keep using it. That says Mount Sinai. We're going to go on a journey. We're transitioning right now in the message, and we're going to go on a journey, and we're going to Mount Sinai. I want us to go there. I want us to go to Mount Sinai because it's important tonight. And to get to Mount Sinai, we have to start in Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. I have it up here on the board. It says, you yourselves have seen what I did to, the, to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. See, God wasn't so much bringing them to a promised land as he was bringing Israel to himself. Now, if you obey me fully, and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. God said, if you obey me fully and keep all that I say, you will be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Speak this to Israel. We're going to look at Mount Sinai very different tonight because here's the control. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession and I will make you a kingdom of priests let's go to the next slide 
Moses goes up on the mountain, talks to the Lord, and comes back. And in verse 14, we pick it up. It says, now I want us to pay very much attention to all the words, every specific word that we read tonight. After Moses had gone down, he was talking with the Lord, down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them. How did he consecrate them? They washed their clothes. He told them, I want you to wash up. I want you to clean up. I want you to clean your clothes. I want you to clean your body. I want you to clean your children. I want you to clean your wife. Everybody is to bathe. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. He's talking to the men. But he said, get ready for the third day. Now think about this. God instructs Moses to lay a boundary down around uh, Mount Sinai. And he gives this commandment to him and he says, you got three days to ponder what it's going to be like to go meet God. You got three days to get yourself ready to clean, to make sure you are prepared. They're going to have their Sunday best on They're going to meet God, the one that brought them out of Egypt. I can imagine the conversations they were having in their tents. We're going to go see God on the third day. The kids are excited. The wives are excited. The men are excited. We're going to see God in three days. He gave them three days so they could ponder this, so it could sink into their minds. They're going to see God. And he said, I don't want you to lose track, men. So the bedroom's off limits. Next verse. On the morning of the third day, everybody's ready. Everybody's probably up early that morning, excited. They begin to approach the mountain. And on the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the mountain. And a very loud trumpet blast. Let me go back and read that because I want you guys to hear the description. On the third day, there was thunder and lightning. It wasn't drizzling. We got thunder. You know what it's like when you're outside and all of a sudden a lightning cracks? And whatever you were doing, you just forgot about it. You're heading indoors. They're getting ready to go meet God and the heavens above the mountain start lightning and thundering and a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Whatever they thought they were going to meet changed right here. They realized We're going to meet God. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. They're going to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Next verse. Look at the description. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke. Because the Lord descended upon it in fire. How did he show up? In fire. This was not the dove descending out of heaven. They have men with their children with them. Look, these are we like to disconnect ourselves. Think of Nick and his family and Sam going to meet God. Nolan's there. Everybody's there. We're going to meet God. And the only thing they experience is fear. Fear. They're about to get the commandments of God. They're about to get the law. And they're all in fear. Because the smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. It wasn't a little cloud. It was bellowing black smoke like it was a furnace. There's a fire going on. You ever seen The Wizard of Oz? And the smoke is coming up and there's a man behind the curtain. What did it strike? It struck fear. There is 
fear in every heart because the entire mountain quaked greatly. Look at the adjectives that Moses is using to describe the day. The whole ground is shaking. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder and piercing their ears, Moses, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. So Moses ascends up to the mountain. Let's go to the next slide. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai. When he came, he manifested in a certain way. I mean, when the Spirit of God came at Jesus' baptism, it was all as powerful as this, but he came like a dove. But God is showing himself to these people in a specific way. He came down onto the mountain. And whatever spirit he was of, the earth is convulsing to it. It's reacting to the presence of God. And on the top, uh, and the Lord came down on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Who went up? Moses. Where did he go? Okay. You guys are listening good. Give me the next slide. I got to get on the same page as you guys. So the Lord speaks to Moses. If you read, he tells them the Ten Commandments. He doesn't write them down yet, but he tells them the commandments. And Moses is coming down, and he tells Moses, he says, And the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people, so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. If they would have pressed in to the presence of God, they would have perished. If they would have gone up the mountain, they would have perished. This is what the Lord is saying to Moses. God appeared to them in a very specific way. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. The Lord's saying, even the priests that are going to come closer to me, they better consecrate themselves or I'm going to break out against them. I don't want God breaking out against me. They are to fear and reverence this God. And he shows up and he says, you reverence me, this is a boundary. You cross it, you die. Your animals cross it, they die. There was no doubt in their mind what type of God was in heaven at this point. Let's go to the next slide. Now all the people witnessed this thundering and these lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. How many times we say, Oh, Israel did not want to go and hear from God. If you'd have been there, you wouldn't want to hear from him either. I'm just trying to draw the picture. I didn't write it. This is not my version of the scriptures. I'm trying to take you to Mount Sinai to see what Israel came to. It was fearful. It was fearful. They had their kids there and their wives there, and I bet you the men were shaking. They didn't want to experience it anymore because that word afar off actually means they had left the foot of the mountain. 
They were far from where Moses had left them. They had drawn away from where they could hear God speak because when he spoke, it absolutely terrified them. That is who God is. He is that type of God that if you obey everything he says, it will go well for you. Children, obey your parents and it will go well for you. But he's also the God that says, if you don't obey, I'll destroy you. I'll kill you. I'll kill your animals. He's that fearful and holy of a God. Let's go to the next slide. We're almost done with Mount Sinai. It's a fearful place. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you. Well, that's a, that's, that's, you ever been tested by God? This was a, a, a major test. Well, what was the test? Hello, you cross that fence? That's not a test. You will die. But they drew back because of how he appeared to them and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. See, he did this so they wouldn't sin. That if they did sin, they knew they were going to die. They did not question whether God would take them out if they continued in sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And what's the result? God had called them to be a kingdom of priests, and they wind up being a tribe of priests. The people were so afraid of God, they had to have priests in front of them that said, you have to hear from God for us. You just tell us everything he says and we'll do it. They were showing their fear and reverence because of what they experienced of God. I'm not, I, I, I didn't make this up. This is how God appeared to Israel. The result is God set the tribe of Levi between them and himself. Let's take a look at that next slide. This is Mount Sinai. No wonder they did not want to camp there. The church today doesn't want to camp there. No one wants to pinch their tent at the foot of Mount Sinai. It's a fearful place. You can't see it, but there is this fence. They go, look, the fence didn't really need to be there, trust me. Because they backed away so far from the fence. What did the Pharisees do? They put fence around fence around fence. They try to get you so far away from sin because if you sin, you shall surely... That was their God. You obey Him, it'll go well with you. Well, what's going well? Well, you probably wouldn't kill Him. But if you continued in sin, the heavy judgment hand of God would come down on them and destroy them. I don't blame them for not wanting to camp at Mount Sinai. I myself do not want to camp at Mount Sinai. So let's move on. You see, we are called to be a kingdom of priests. It says it twice in Revelations. Twice in Revelations it says, He made us kings and priests unto Him. Now, how can we be priests? Because He said, we saw here, if you don't go to God, you're putting a man between you and God, that's the priest? How can we be a kingdom of priests when he doesn't want the priest? He wants every man to be a priest of his own home. He doesn't want man being the priest of somebody else's home. We are to be a nation of priests to our own homes. 
Revelation 5.10 says, He made us kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. When we are priests of our families, when we are the spiritual head, when we are the one pursuing God for our family, when we are training up our children, the men, when they take that role, we rule and we reign on the earth. So why has America got 1,100? All these statistics? I'll, I'll read them real quick. Just the first one. You don't have to go there. Listen to this. This is the children of America. Today, 1,100 will have an abortion. This is someone under the age of 20. 1,000. That's today. Tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day. In one week, it's almost 10,000. Doesn't sound like much when you say 1,000, but at the end of the week, it's 7,700 abortions. And that's only to the person who's under 20 years old. 2,500 gave birth today to a child who doesn't have a priest in the home. 2,500 new curses on the earth. No priest in the home. No wonder violence. We were on the way up here and we were talking. Sugarland's been in the news almost weekly. A curse has come to America because the priest is not in the home. But if we being priests, that makes Jesus our high priest. Because every priesthood has a high priest. And the high priest goes where the rest of the priests can't go. And since Jesus being our priest, that brings us to the next mountain, Mount Calvary. So let's go to Mount Calvary. completely different mountain it's a completely different God in fact at Mount Calvary they arrested him this is the same God on Mount Sinai on Mount Calvary they arrested him they bound him up they mocked him they mocked God this same God of Mount Sinai, they mocked him. They beat him. They blindfolded him. They ripped out his beard. They jeered at him. They chastised him. They spat on him. They flogged him nearly to death. They laid the cross on his back. They gave him vinegar to drink and they pierced his side. They crucified the God of Mount Sinai. It's no wonder the church wants to stay at Mount Sinai, I mean Mount Calvary. Because you can spit on God. You can abuse God. You can mock God and he won't respond because he loves me. And I can live in a homosexual relationship because he loves me. And I can live in fornication because he loves me. And I can cheat and I can lie, and I can steal, and he will not respond because he loves me. God did not call us to Mount Calvary. Our high priest went to Mount Calvary. We only pass by so we can see what our high priest did for us. You see, Mount Calvary had to happen because of Mount Sinai, because there was a God that said, you can't come to me because I will kill you if you do. And so he comes as Mount Calvary and he says, beat me, spit on me, mock me, and I will not leash out against you. And we have entire denominations that tell us their foundation is built at Calvary. It's built on Calvary. We're not leaving Calvary. 
And we wonder how the priesthood in those churches is filled with homosexuals and people who ought not be leading. Do you understand? The church wants to stay at Mount Calvary. See, they would prefer to leave a God who demands respect for one that they can spit on, laugh at, mock, and he's just silent through it all. See, God had put a barrier around Mount Sinai, and Moses, being a type of Christ, was the only one to cross the barrier. What would have happened if the people would have crossed that barrier? They would have died. If we would have gone up Mount Calvary, we would have died. Only one was allowed to go up Mount Calvary. And it was God himself. He broke through that barrier. He broke into that barrier where there was lightning and flashes and smoke and danger and went before an awesome God a fearful God who said, I will strike you dead. All of that wrath that was on Mount Sinai fell on Christ at Mount Calvary. And the church wants to stay at Mount Calvary. But we are not called to Mount Calvary. It's the next slide. We're called to Mount Zion. Let's take a look at Mount Zion because not only can we just look at it in scriptures and describe it, but we are called to Mount Calvary, I mean Mount Zion. We don't have to read about it and wonder what the people experienced there. We are called to Mount Zion. And it's a heavenly mountain. It's not one you can go visit. Give me the next slide. Hebrews 12, 18 through 21. You and I have not come to a mountain that can be touched. And you have not come to a mountain that is burning with fire, to darkness, to gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even the animal touched the mountain, it must be stoned to death. This sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I tremble with fear. What mountain is he talking about? He's talking about Mount Sinai. The mountain we've come to is not like that mountain. What's the next slide say? Verses 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in what? That's much different than Mount Sinai. This is a joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, Jesus Christ. We've come to this mountain. We've been born for such a time as this, whose names are written in heaven. Look at the tone. Your names are written in heaven. You have what? Come to God. What did he draw Israel out for? That they might be with him? But they could not. They got the law. But we have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And who's our high priest? To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. 
Go back one slide. This is what we have not come to. But don't forget. Don't say, oh yeah, we don't have to fear God. No, 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 no. The parenting type was high control and high support. Not a balance because low control and low support is still balance. It's not an equal thing. It's either high or low. High love and high truth. If it's all just truth, your house is Mount Sinai. And your children fear you because you probably have smoke coming out of your nostrils. But if you're permissive and you love your children and can't discipline them, they will spit in God's face. We have not come to either one of those. We have come to Mount Zion. Those that went to Sinai, they begged not to experience any more of this God. If all you do is lay the law down in your house, your children will beg not to be in your presence anymore. At 18, they will hit the road and never look back. And they will never settle in a church. Because you have demonstrated a perversion of the Heavenly Father. And if all you ever do is love your child... You're going to love a child that doesn't know if he's a man or a woman. He, does, he, he expects to be loved even if you have to visit him in prison. And he will never impact the kingdom of God. He might be in church, but he might say it's because God loves homosexuals. We have to have high love, high truth. We've come to God. He's not only the lion of Judah. And he's not only the lamb of God. Can I get the next slide? He's caused the lion and the lamb to lay together. Let us not forget, he's still the lion. You, la you ask Ananiah and Sapphira if he was not the lion. They lied to this God and they dropped dead. He's still the lion. But somehow he's still the lamb because when we sin, we have a desire to go sit in our father's lap. Do you, have you ever been off course? I mean, really off course, like just caught up in pride and self-sufficiency and, and God just pulls the carpet completely out from under you and everything's come crashing down. What is one of the first things you do is you say, thank you, Lord for saving me from myself. When God disciplines, disciplines us, somehow we run to him and say, thank you for not leaving me to myself. Because he does it in the way that is the lion and the lamb. He's not just the lion. And he's not just the lamb. They are laid down together. And so I want to address the fathers here. I'm, I'm closing up. Fathers, are you all love and all truth in your home? Are you the one showing your kids the affection they need? Or is that, that's my wife's job. You're the disciplinarian, and, and my wife comforts them. 
They're going to get a perverted view of God. They need a God that will lay with them in their own bed at night and read them stories about Humpty Dumpty. And who can correct in a way that after you spank them, they say, thank you, Dad, for not leaving me to myself. Are you correctly displaying the nature of our Heavenly Father? Our country depends on this. No wonder God has got an entire generation. He's saying, take them out of the schools. Put them in the homes. A curse is on the land. Now I'm going to address both parents. Are you permissive? Have you laid down godly standards in your home? Do your children know what the standard of God is? Every home should say, we don't do that because we're Vincent's. We don't do that because we're Hutchinson's. And the Hutchinsons serve God. It's not because they're Hutchinsons. It's because the priest of the Hutchinsons family said, we're going to serve God. And we don't do this. I'm glad nobody's on the front row. They would have gotten showered. <laughs> I am passionate about this because this is the greatest role that I'm going to do. I want to get lost in some jungle where, somewhere preaching the gospel when I'm in a cursed land and how I raise my children depends on if there's going to be another generation of God in this country or not. Now to you children, do you know what the fifth commandment is? The fifth commandment. Jesus said, on these two commandments do all the commandments of God hinge. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself or as the same of, as God. The fifth, which is on the first hinge, which is how we love God. The first five commandments is God commanding man how he is to act towards God. And he goes, one, two, three, four. Four, in the fifth one, that fifth commandment is for our children. He says, obey your parents. It will go well with you if you obey your parents. Because you, you think in your heart, oh, I love God. You don't love God any more than you love your parents. You don't listen to God any better than you listen to your parents. My dad told me to do this, but he's not home. That is how you're treating God. God sees that you've done that to him. Well, my parents always let me do this. When you go to a sleepover, oh, I can do this. My parents always let me do this. When you know it's not true. God says, how you treat your parents is the same way I see how you're treating me until you are old enough to come out of that priesthood, to come out of that priestly covering. How you treat the priesthood in your house is how you treat God. You lie to your parents, you're lying to God. You disobey your parents, you're disobedient to God. He didn't ask you to be obedient to God. He asked you to be obedient to your parents. And he would receive that as though you were serving him the same way. And you won't serve him any greater when you leave the house. If you're in rebellion now, you'll be in rebellion then. I want to address the singles because there's something for everybody in this message. You don't have the distractions like we with 
a lot of children have. But somehow, you're the most busiest and don't have time for God. I don't know how that works. You have no distractions. You ought to know your father's heart. How much time have you spent in his presence? Because look, sometimes I just wish I had the time that you guys had so I could spend it in my father's presence. Because I don't have that much time. You've got no excuses, none. We've come to Mount Zion where we fear him and we love him. And in that balance, in that balance, both high, high love and high truth, we might be able to save this nation and change those numbers. If not, then we will save our families. Amen.